you got it, say amen. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did not eat, I mean, he did eat nothing. And then when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command the stone that it be made into bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil take it unto him to a high mount and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, It is the power and the will of thee go, I mean, and the glory of them that is delivered unto me, and whomsoever I will give it. And if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answereth and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned in him the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out the fame of him through all the region round about. You may be seated. The devil ended all temptations and departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned the power of the Spirit to Galilee and went out of all fame throughout the region round about him. Psalms 119 and 11 says this, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Church, I want to talk about this morning about what is important to us. About what we cherish and what we hold dearly to our hearts, what we protect, what we hold, what we hide against the world, what we hide against others who are coming against us, what we take and we consider to be precious. If you love it, you'll protect it. If it's something of value, you protect it. If you want it in your life, you're going to take care of it. If you want it to last a long time, you're going to make sure that it's clean. You're going to make sure that it's in a place that it won't get damaged. If you're, going to, if you're going to keep it going beyond tomorrow or today, you're going to treat it as if it is not a disposable item. I heard a story a long time ago, and I believe I, I told this a few months back, but the, the story kind of, kind of sticks with you for a while. It was a story of a drug bust down in Houston. It was this horrible, run-down shack, barely even fit for a house. 
In fact, I'm surprised it wasn't condemned at the time. Pictures, uh, the house was just in shambles, okay? So they busted these men and these women, and it was a horrible, rundown place. And the police said that these criminals had a security system that was so great that it outvalued the home many times over. A security system in a house that was being run down that outvalued the home many times over. It wasn't the house that they were protecting. It was in the house they protect, that they were protecting. See, they were protecting something they had of value. They weren't concerned with anything but protecting that which they valued so greatly. They put more money into protecting the drugs in the house than they did with the house. The house was almost worthless, but they had thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of drugs in that house. And so then they didn't worry about the house. They put all their money into the security to protect that house because that house was putting something inside of it. They were, they were housing, if you will, something that they valued greatly. See, you have a treasure in us. We are a treasure. We are a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, peculiar people. We are a temple. We are a vessel that holds a treasure. See, what God has given us, what he has put into us is to be protected. If we do not protect it, the enemy will take it. If we do not hide his word in our heart, the devil will come and try to change those words. Jesus himself was fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. The man who had not sinned ever and never will sin was tempted by the devil. And the amazing thing is he wasn't just tempted by the devil. The devil didn't just say, hey, why don't you do this? This would be cool. Why don't you do that? The, everyone's doing this. It's okay. No worries. The devil came right at him with the word of God. See, the devil knows how to play with your mind. The problem is, is we have a very, a very uh, wily, I guess you would say, an adversary. He's very well educated. He knows the word of God better than most men do. The problem with that is he will use the word of God to confuse you. He will use the word of God to, to make you think he's saying something that he's not saying. He'll use part of a sentence and not the whole picture. He won't use the whole perspective of the situation and get it out of context. That's what my devil does. That's what the devil wants to do to my life. He tries to get into my head and to mess with me. He used scripture on Jesus himself. At his weakest of weeks. But see, something was very special about that interaction between the devil and Jesus. For everything that the devil came at him with, Jesus, because he had the word hidden in his heart, because he knew everything about scripture, inward and outward, Anytime the devil came before him, anytime the devil came at him, he tried to even bring scripture. You ever, have you ever had somebody, I'm, I'm going to do a little quick segue off this. Have you ever had somebody who wasn't in church, but then comes to try to throw scripture at you all day long? 
Am I the only one, apparently? Sister Tammy's right there with me, I guess. Have you, have somebody who's read the word, they know it backwards and forwards, but they don't understand the words that are coming out of their mouth. They never get the context. I always hear that, that, that statement, and, and please don't, don't get mad at me this morning, but you always hear someone say, no, the Bible says, judge not, lest ye be judged. And I always think, do you understand what you're saying? You're literally equating yourself to the sin. Don't judge me. Well, if you read that scripture where he's talking about, or he without sin cast the first stone. Well, if you, if you continue reading, Jesus talks to that woman and says, neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and what? Sin no more. Know your word, church. What are, you, what are you valuing in this life? Are you valuing that new Xbox? Are you valuing that new truck, that new car, that new house? We just got a new house, by the way, so we, we do value that. Are you valuing those things, or, or is God's word what is important to you? If all of that goes away tomorrow, my God will still be good. Whether I lose everything tomorrow, whether I die on this platform right now, I know that I serve an almighty God. I know that I serve a God who is good no matter what is going on in my life. A God who will protect me, who will guide me, who will have his will, and thy will only because I will increase. Therefore, he will, I mean, I'm sorry, I will decrease and he will increase. Putting myself on a pedestal there. I told you I was tongue-tied this morning. You can ask the youth this morning. I couldn't hardly talk around in circles. But we have to have that word in our heart. If we don't understand what we're reading, if we don't understand what we're speaking, if we don't understand what God is trying to tell us through his word, it's going to get messed up because we're not protecting it. We're not, we're not guarding our hearts. We're not sitting there saying, you know what, God? I'm going I'm to give everything I can out of you. I want to learn everything about you. I want to learn everything that I can about what's going to come against me. Because when the adversary, the devil, he's going to come at you. He's going to come at you like a roaring lion, try to find anybody that he can devour. I want to be ready. My new truck isn't going to protect me from Satan. Those nice clothes, that money in the bank account isn't going to protect me from Satan. I have to understand what is important in this life. We have to make sure that we protect those things. So you can't protect anything you're not willing to pray about. You can't protect anything that you're not willing to fast about. If it ain't that important to you, then it, it, it ain't worth having in your life. I'm just going to be honest with you, church. What are you putting on that pedestal? If you're not worth, if it's not worth hitting your knees for a good 30, 40 minutes at a time, it probably ain't worth having in your life. Easy come, easy go. We have to understand that we have to have the right things in our life. What are we going to value in our life? Is it going to be a man? Is it going to be a woman? Is it going to be a loved one? Is it going to be that lost soul that we, that we can never reach? Or is it going to be God? Are we going to put our trust in God and say, God, I, I give him to you? There's no, there's no soul on this earth that can be won by me without God. There is, no, there is no way to reach anybody with the gospel without having God involved. 
unless you give him a little patty cake testimony service. Give him a dollar, get a hundred back. That's not how it works, by the way. I would be a millionaire right now. But church, we have to understand that what you protect, that what you hide in your heart, that what you consider to be a value says a lot about who you are. What are you putting in your vault? What are you hiding in in that, that, that darkest of darks in the heart? What are you hiding where no one else can see? When you shut that door, no one else is looking at you, and no one else is even aware of what's going on. What are you thinking about? What are you praying about? What are you thinking about and talking about? What are you protecting? Jesus in chapter 4 knew what it was. When he was led into the wilderness, he was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there's something important there, church. He was led by the Spirit to a place of struggle. All too often, we, we, we want to look at our, our, our tough times that we're having in the church or in our life or in our family, and we want to think, what am I doing wrong with God? Church, sometimes it's what you're doing right. Now, yes, <laughs> it does happen the other way quite often. But there have been many times that I, I have made commitments or made plans to do something for the kingdom of heaven. And then the next day found myself in a struggle of all struggles, in the fight of all fights, in the battle with the devil, trying to figure out where I went wrong and what is going on with my life. Because I didn't realize that I was being led through a battle to test my own will. To test my own ability. To test whether or not I have hid thy word in my heart. Test whether or not I truly have faith in God. Even Jesus himself had to put himself through tests. Jesus himself had to go into the wilderness led by the Spirit. Not only was it the wilderness, he was led to a place of death. See, the wilderness wins every time. When you're in a life without God, life will always have control of your life. Without him, You will never get through your life. This world will always win. This world will always have control. This world will always defeat you. Because the only way, the only way to win is through him. We were talking this morning in the Sunday school about righteousness. Now, the Bible says that no man is righteous. But then James refers to Rahab as being a righteous woman. And we had to explain and understand that righteousness, no no man can achieve righteousness by being a man. The righteousness that he spoke of was the faith that she had in God. The faith in action. 
the faith put in motion by, by choosing to believe that God was God and that, that the people of Israel were going to defeat them, that she chose to go ahead and hide the spies because she felt it was the right thing to do for God. It's because she started to get the right perspective of what is important in her life. We have to understand, church, Sometimes we have to go to those places. Life will always knock us down. Life will always hit us between the eyes. Life will always know how to get us. You've heard that statement that you're only as strong as your weakest link? You can fortify everything you've got, but you leave one weak spot. That's where it's going to live. They have guys that walk up and down dams all day long just checking to make sure there's no lake. Because the second there's a tiny bit of water coming through, they know that that little tiny bit of water just starting to come through, barely even a crack, can quickly lead to a total failure. Because before you know it, a little bit gets torn away and a little bit more. And the amazing thing is if, you, if you've ever seen erosion or anything break away, it, it's just a little stone here, a little stone there. And then before you know it, the side of the bank completely caves in because that last stone that was just, just enough to hold it all together, to keep that picture, to keep that facade, to keep us looking like we're the part, to keep us acting like where people look at us and go, you know what, they have it together. Then that one little thing finally breaks away from us. Because we were not taking the time to protect it. We were not taking the time to understand the gravity of the issues that we were dealing with. We weren't taking the time to understand who our God was and what he was trying to do in our lives. We didn't take the time to understand it. And the devil would just pick away. He'd even use the word a little bit here, a little bit there. Before you know it, the entire thing gives away. The amazing thing about that is there's no hiding it anymore. There's no hiding a cataclysmic failure. Before you know it, you thought you had it together. Oh, it's just one more stone here. Oh, it's just one more problem there. It's just one more thing I'm going to take out of God's hands. And then it all comes crumbling down. And then we sit there wondering, God, why? Why me? Why here? Why now? Any other why you can think of? And God's just sitting there saying, what did you value before it happened? What were you worried about? Were you worried about the bills? Were you worried about not looking cool in front of your friends? <laughs> were you worried about the church congregation? Believe it or not, pastors can put things in front of God, too. I've seen and heard many pastors sometimes get, get so stressed out and worried about things that were happening in the church, so much to the point that they began forgetting to talk to the man that put them in the position that they were in. And I'm, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not talking about Pastor Horn right now. <laughs> this is not me getting family frustrations out right now. That, I'm just talking, but just put, a, put that little addendum in there. But I've seen it, and he's seen it too. It doesn't matter where you are. No man is, or woman is above the risk. The only way to go against it is to protect it. 
And in order to protect it, we have to set boundaries. We got to set guides. Boundaries don't mean that what's on the other side of that boundary is necessarily wrong. It just means if I don't cross that boundary, I know I'm not going to be in the wrong. You never want to put a boundary right at the edge. You put that boundary too close to the edge, that boundary might give away. You don't want to put a fence literally on the edge of the cliff. Your luck, that, that fence gives away. They always put that fence just a little bit closer, a couple feet maybe, from the edge. You have to set a boundary. You have to set a boundary. Too many people I always say, well, you know what? I, I, I just don't feel a conviction about this. I don't feel a conviction about that. And I understand that yeah, every man has their own conviction. You have to sort your own convictions, and I understand that. But convictions are things that aren't always necessarily heaven or hell things. They're not always. They may be for that individual, but they may not be a blanket thing. But, but, convictions have a purpose. Convictions are the things that stop you from going to where it's too far. Convictions are the things that say, you know what? You know, it's not a sin to do this thing or to do that action or to behave in this manner. But you know what? I'm going to go ahead and draw the line here. Because here I know it's right. Here I am perfectly comfortable. Here is my boundary. Here I know that I'm not in the wrong with my God. Here I know that I can achieve that which God has set for me. Because I am living, I am breathing, I am walking with God. I heard someone say, actually it was Brother Cobb say it recently. I'd rather have given up too much and make it to heaven than not giving up enough and be sent away. We have to understand that if we don't set boundaries, we will never get very far. You know, I remember growing up as a kid, my parents would let us play outside in the yard. And my dad even told the story, my, apparently my dad got his, his parenting skills from my grandmother because he said that they, they would, well my grandmother would always tell him, don't go outside because she knew when she was gone, don't go outside because she knew that they would go outside into the yard. But if she told them don't go out beyond the yard, that he would probably go into the road. She always put the boundary a little bit behind when she knew that my dad, the, the, the rascal he was, I guess, <laughs> would do. And his brothers and sister. But my parents did the same thing with us. I remember all the time they'd always they always set these boundaries for us. You know, you can play outside, but don't don't go beyond the ditch. Well, guess where I was playing? I was usually in the ditch. They always set these boundaries because they know we're gonna go beyond it. They know we're gonna do these things that we shouldn't necessarily do. But they set these boundaries for us because they care about us and they protect us. We have to know that these things are set in place because of love. You know, growing up, my parents had rules. There were regulations. There were things that we had to do. We had chores. Studies show that kids love structure. Kids thrive in structure. They love having those things. Now, you ask the kids, they're going to hate them. But studies have shown that adults who grew up in a household that had structure, a household that had discipline, a household that had, 
had consequences when they did things wrong. A household that had chores for children to do. They grew up a lot more responsible. They grew up a lot more self-aware, a lot, a, lot, a lot better self-esteem, and the ability to handle tough situations even easier because they had already been groomed and raised in a manner that they understood that everything has a consequence and everything has to be done. Some, somebody's got to wash the dishes. If I don't do it and they don't do it, they ain't going to wash themselves. You've got to do it. These things are done out of love. So he's not going to give us the power to overcome our shortcomings if we can't be responsible with that power. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our struggles. But we have to understand that, <laughs> as one famous uncle said <laughs> in Spider-Man, great power comes great responsibility. We have to understand that. And I'll keep repeating it. We have to understand that. We have to understand the purpose of setting the boundaries. Many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Matthew chapter number 22, Jesus is quoted and speaking in the parable of a king. And he starts telling the story of a king that is inviting all of the important people, we'll say, important people, the wealthy people, to come join a wedding for his son. So the king sends out all of his servants out to invite everyone, but not a single one of them came. So the king sent out his servants a second time, and then they made light of it again. And then on top of that, they slew the servants. They killed the servants. The important people killed the servants. Don't come back again, apparently. The king was so mad that he sent his army and killed all of the murderers. And then he states that those who were called upon were deemed not worthy. The story then goes on to say that the king sends more servants out again. But this time, he sends them to invite everyone, not just the important people. The highways and the byways. Tell everyone to come see my son get married. And so everyone was invited, both good and bad alike. Then an another shows up, but he's not dressed for the wedding. The king binds him and casts him in the darkness. He wasn't prepared. And I, I, I said all of that because we have to be beckoned. We have all been beckoned to the feast, I'm sorry. But we have to be able to take the invite. We've all been asked to come to the wedding. We've all been invited. We've all received our invite in the mail. We all have the paper in front of us. God extends it to everyone, good, bad. doesn't matter where you are in your walk of life with God. What matters is that you received the call. Many are called, but only the few that show up prepared are chosen. See, those that didn't answer the call were deemed unworthy of the call. 
Then everybody was invited. Everyone came. But then some people came that didn't show honor, that didn't, that didn't revere or fear the sanctity of the marriage. And God cast them away too. Only the few that answer. Only the few that understand the gravity and the importance of the call that God has set in every one of our lives. Got news for you. Pastor Horn wasn't the only one sent with the Great Commission. He wasn't the only one who was told to preach the gospel. Every single one of us, if we claim to be living a life of an apostolic doctrine, to following from the day of Pentecost, if we claim to be those people, if we claim to adhere to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we all have been given the invite. We have all been given the call to go reach. We have all been given a purpose in the kingdom of God. But many are called, but few are chosen. I used to always read that the other way around, saying that God called everybody, then he just picks a few of the elites. But as I got older, I learned that when he talks about that, he's saying that we've all been given a call, every single one of us. But only the few who show it the importance it deserves. They give it the respect that it is due are the few that get chosen. Church, we have to respect the call. We have to cherish it like it, 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 like it is an heirloom passed down from generation to generation because it is that. Whether you're a first-generation believer or a fifth or sixth or seventh-generation believer, it doesn't matter. What matters is that when you accept the call, when you are baptized in his name, when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you are a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. You are a part of the called, the few, the chosen. But we have to show it the respect. In closing, I just wanted to we all have known those people who, who have been in church, out of church. You know, they've, if, if church members had a frequent flyer card to, <laughs> to check off, they, they, they'd have thousands and thousands of miles in and out, in and out, in and out. Today's the day I'm going to worship God. Today's the day that I'm going to give up all of my, all of my things in my, in my life that are keeping me from God. All of my idols, I'm going to cast them down today. Never again am I looking back. Two weeks later, they're back at it again month or two later again. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry, God. I'm moving forward. I, th 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 I'm never looking back. Today's the day that I'm changing. I will never let myself fall back again. Crumple up that thing, your cigarettes or whatever it may be. Throw it away. I'm done. And then we're right back in it. It's not because we didn't maybe feel it at that moment. Maybe at the, at the time of the emotion, we thought we, we, we meant it. It's not that. It, it's, it's that we don't give the respect it's due. I know I'm getting some funny faces, but at church, it's, it's, we aren't 
showing it what it's worth. If you say you believe in the word of God, if you say that you want to live a life that is righteous and holy in God's eyes, if you want to sit here and say that I want to be a part of that fold, if I want to be the one that said, come on in, woo, we're going to go, we're going to have a party, we're going to worship God every time, every second of the day, holy, holy, holy. If you want to be a part of that, what are you doing in this life to show the value? If I were to sit here right now and we were to put a number between 1 and 10, 10 10 being completely sold out, 1 meaning that you're completely walking away from God, and we all had numbers 1 through 10 pop over our heads right now in regards to our commitment to God, what number would it say about you? Please don't say your number out loud. What number would you have? Would you have a 4? He's there. Uh, I believe him, you know. uh, I go to church on Sunday mornings when I feel like it, every Easter. Are you a six? Oh, I love God. I, I, I attend every service. The day the doors are open, I'm in there. I'll say amen every service until Sister Susie up in the front pew says, gives me a funny look. Then I'm changing churches. What are we? What value are we giving God in our lives? What value are we taking the most important thing that was ever given to us in the history of man? What number of a value are we giving that? Better yet, what value are we putting this world? Do the same thing, one through ten. Right now, give yourself a number. Just do it in your head. What value are we giving the stresses of our work? Our desire to be wealthy. Our desire to be famous. Our desire to have that boyfriend that tells us he loves us. Or that, or that, that girlfriend that tells us that, that we're awesome, we look great. Yes, guys are typically more vain. Where are we at in that, young people? Where are we at, at older people? Are we so worried about having a feeling of belonging, a feeling of this is what I want for my life on this earth? And are we forgetting too much about what's happening after this life? Are we forgetting too much about the promises? Well, guess what, church? We are all, every one of us, promised eternity. But we didn't know that, did we? Every one of us get eternity. Our souls do not die. We all have eternity. And I'm closing, I promise. <laughs> Problem is, is where is your eternity going to be? And it is 100% predicated, 100% dependent upon that number. How much value do we put on God. And I know this is not a shouting, jumping, amen service. This isn't. This wasn't intended for that. But church, I need you to understand how important this is. We talk about wanting to have revival in that building. We're talking about wanting to reach souls. We're talking about wanting to have growth. We're talking about reaching 115 people with food. As amazing as this is and, and as touched as I am and how much I love to see that, 
We can't forget that it is more important for us to feed a soul than it is to feed a stomach. We have to understand that it all goes hand in hand. We can't be focused on feeding the, the hungry all day long and not worrying about the soul that's walking out the back door. We can't spend all day long worrying about our work or our job or what other people have said about us and not spend enough time worrying about what God is saying about me, what God is thinking about me, what God is saying about Stephen Horn Jr. Is he saying that Stephen needs to be more committed, or is he saying that Stephen is going beyond the call? Stephen is talking to people about the gospel. Stephen is reaching the lost. Stephen is praying. He is seeking my face. Or is he saying that Stephen, I don't really know him. Seen him a few times. Said hi a couple times in passing, shook a hand here and there, touched him on the shoulder. But we don't really know each other. Church, where are we at in our relationship with God? What do we hold of value? What are we going to put behind our security system? What are we going to hide in our heart? What are we going to fill up? What are we going to? To cherish. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. What we love, we protect. Amen. That's so very, very true. Amen. The Bible tells us to buy the truth.